Hi, thanks, Greg. Okay, me again, guys. I'm back. <laughs> thanks, Greg. And thanks, Paul and Amanda. And honestly, if you guys aren't in a growth group yet, I really encourage you to sign up. They're absolutely fantastic. Okay, are we ready for the Word of God? We start our revival series. Amen? Amen. Okay, so when we think about revival, revival, simply put, is an interest, um, an increased interest, an increased an increased awareness and increased pursuing of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit within the church. And, and that in turn, um, it begins to do a deep work within us. It begins to, the Holy Spirit can begin to work very deeply in us, which, um, which in turn then reverberates out into the community. You know, it, it brings this renewal of life. It's a revival. We're awakening again. We come into life again as the Holy Spirit works within us and revives us. And, you know, we, I'm expecting this morning, I'm really expecting for the Holy Spirit to come and begin to work within us and then just begin to reverberate out of us. So I just want to pray with us all, if that's all right. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit. You sent your Holy Spirit to be with us and guide us. We believe the Holy Spirit is with us now, working within, within us, Lord. And we're expectant for a deep work within ourselves. Deep repentance, Father, where we need to repent. A deep conviction, Father, and a deep surrender. A deep surrender that you can come with power and with fire and work within us and among us. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord, this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, it was 1940 and there was a, um, a professor called Dr. Edwin Orr. And Dr. Orr was a lecturer of theology at Wheaton College. And he took some of his um, theology students on a trip to England to visit some theological um, sites that were, that were important to the history of the church. And one of the, um, the places of, of significance that Dr. Orr took his students to visit was a place called the Old Refactory in Epworth, England. Now, the Old Refactory was home to a man named John Wesley. And some of you may have heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was a great reformer of the church. John Wesley led the Methodist movement and he really crafted some of that, um, that reformed church theology and really some of the foundational theology in the church today. And John Wesley would study, he would teach, um, he, would, he would preach and he would pray that revival would come to England and then the rest of the world. Wesley, with people around him, really did usher in some of the great revivals of the early 1900s. So the theology students went to visit his home, his family home, and they wandered through the kitchen where his parents would prepare the meals for 19 children. <laughs> and he, they wandered in the dining room where they would sit around the table. And then they wandered up the stairs and into the bedroom of John Wesley, a small room with just a, a chest of drawers and a bed. And as they shuffled in this room, all one by one, there were still some books and some preserved notes of John Wesley that he'd taken. So as the students were just taking in the richness of this history, they noticed by the bed two worn um, implants in, in, the, in the carpet fibers, where it was said that, that John Wesley would pray for hours and hours that spiritual revival would come. 
As the excursion came to an end, the students began to file out the house and back on the bus. And Dr. R noticed that there was one student missing. So he wandered back through the house. He wandered in the kitchen. He wandered in the dining room. He wasn't there. He wandered up the stairs and into the small bedroom. And he found the student kneeling in the same imprints on the carpet with his head on the bed. He was praying and Dr. Orr heard him pray, Oh Lord, would you do it again? Oh Lord, would you do it again? Dr. Orr put his hand on the boy's shoulder. He said, come on son, it's time to leave. We've got to go. Billy Graham stood up walked out of the house and back on the bus. And then the Lord did it again. Amen. Amen. Prayer is definitely, is unquestionably needed for revival, a building block to revival. That is unquestionable. And perhaps one of the most obvious things when we think about revival. But what I think is just as important and and maybe not so obvious and something that I want to talk about today is that what we also need for revival, what is just as important for revival is prayer and unity. Prayer and unity go hand in hand. If we want to see revival in our church, if we want to see a revival in our lifetime, not only do we need to understand the importance of prayer, we also need to understand the importance of the church being a unified body. You know, the men and women of the past that have been instrumental in ushering some of the great revivals that we've heard about, John Wesley, William Seymour, Charles Farnham of the Azusa Street Revival, they they were not alone. They were not men and women alone. They had like-minded people around them praying and laboring in the kingdom of God together as a unified body. If we want to see God's manifested presence, not just sense his omnipresence, but see his manifest presence in the church, which is what we're talking about, we're talking about revival, then we need to understand the importance of being a unified body. God shows us through his word how important unity is. God shows us through his word that unity is the will of God for his people and for the order of his church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what, what you do and say, and let there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united on thought and mind. Jesus says in Matthew 18, again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Where there is unity, when there is agreement, where there is harmony, where there is one accord, the presence and the power of God is present. And you know, church, we cannot expect the Holy Spirit to come and move among us and reveal himself among us if we aren't honoring the word and the will of God in our lives and in his church. We are in effect shutting the door. We're closing the door. Paul Washer um, explains, it does good, it does little good for man to cry out for extra biblical manifestations when biblical principle is violated. We have to honour the word and the will of God in our lives because the Holy Spirit primarily works to make known, convict of and reaffirm the word and the will of God in people's lives. 
That is where he can move. That is where he can operate. That is where he reveals himself. You know, unity was key in creation. When we go right back to the very start, the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, working in a constant exchange of love and mutual respect. And we were created in this unity, for that type of unity, with God and with one another. And you know, there is immense power in this type of unity. Immense power. And the devil knew that. The enemy knew that. Because it, is what, it was right back at the very beginning, once this unity was established and put into operation, that the devil came immediately to sow seeds of disunity. You know, when we read Genesis, Genesis, the book of Genesis, which is the story of creation, it tells us how creation happened and the purpose of creation. We read in Genesis 2, this explains why, why, a man, why men and women were created. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the, men and women, now the man and wife were naked and they felt no shame. They were created, they were united to be one together with God and with each other. Next verse, verse three, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Unity was established. You, they were one. Unity was established between each other and with God. And straight away the devil came. The devil came and sowed seeds of disunity. So from the very beginning, back to the, to the very creation, we can see that disunity is the devil's work. Unity was key for the nation of Israel. When they were wandering in the desert, they had to repent as a nation and come back to God as a nation, as a unified body, so the curses of God could stop and the blessings could flow. And of course, unity was instrumental in the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What we read in the book of Acts and the apostles, they were together at the festival of Pentecost. They were together in one accord and the Holy Spirit fell. Acts 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat up each, on, upon each one of them. They were of one accord together. Acts 4.32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. If there was one thing the first church did well, the church of Jerusalem did well, it was unity. It was unity. And if there's one place in the history books that we constantly look back to as a point in time where the Holy Spirit was moving with fire and with power and signs and wonders, it's the book of Acts. When we look back to the book of Acts and the apostles and the formation of the church. And that is something, if we saw that today, that is something we would certainly categorize as a revival, wouldn't we? <laughs> Amen. They did unity well, very well. And you know, they managed to do unity in a time where society and culture was extremely disunified. Extremely disunified. You had extreme gender 
disunity. You had severe class separation. You had slaves and free men, many different cultures, many different gods worshipped, all in one boiling pot. Yet the, the people of God continued to be unified in the name of Jesus. Diversity was washed away with the blood of Christ. The walls of hostility broken down broken down and people could become unified regardless of their culture, regardless of their background, regardless of who they was. They were unified in Christ. There is power in unity. And your unity creates a door for the Holy Spirit to come and reveal himself. Unity is what we were created for. Unity is what the prophets of old preached for. Unity is what Jesus prayed for. Unity is what Jesus died for. Unity is what the Apostle Paul pleaded to the church for. Unity is what the Holy Spirit is looking for. To become one unified body, a unified people, is the answer to Jesus' prayer that he prays in John 17. And I want us just to look at parts of that prayer together so we can really try and begin to understand what this unity might look like for us in the church. Jesus says in, in John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we can see from this prayer, Jesus is quite concerned with unity. He's quite concerned with oneness in his believers. Jesus wants unity in his followers. But what does he mean? What does this look like? Well, let's try and explore from the prayer, and we might go up just a bit further as well in, in the paragraph, what this looks like. Jesus says that they may be one, just as we are one. So it's a unity in his followers that emulates the oneness between the Father and the Son. It's existing with one another. It's working with one another in this constant exchange of love and mutual respect. It's supporting each other, helping one another, really seeing one another, really knowing one another, really listening to one another, really loving one another as Christ loved us. And it's this unity, Jesus says, that will convince the world to believe in Jesus Christ. It will testify to the world of Jesus Christ. Because when the people in this fractured world look upon the church community and they see a community unified in love, then that's going to speak powerfully, powerfully to the fact that there is a saviour. There is a saviour who is good and loves them and wants to be united to them and care for them and be with them and in fact gave his life to be able to do so. So on the flip side of that then, if unity testifies to the reality of Christ and that there's a saviour out there for everyone, where there is disunity in the church, where there are fractions, where there's intolerance of one another, our testimony regarding Jesus Christ isn't convincing. 
doesn't convince people. Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is an effort to keep in unity. There's an effort, but we must take it upon ourselves as our responsibility to exert that effort when we need to. Amen. Amen. Okay, and then if we look, if we read up, well, we'll look a bit further up in the paragraph in this prayer. Jesus gives us some more insights into this type of unity that emulates the Father and the Son. And he says in verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. So if our unity is to be a replica of the Father and the Son, then there is a, there is a purpose attached to our unity. There's a purpose attached to our unity. We are unified for a purpose. And we are unified around the purpose of bringing glory to God on this earth. Bringing glory to God on this earth and completing the work that he's given the church to do. Unity is purpose-driven. Unity is not sameness. Unity is purpose-driven, it is not sameness. Unity doesn't mean we all need to be the same. Unity doesn't mean we all need to act the same, have the same likes, dislikes, wear the same clothes, have the same gifts, personalities. Unity is not sameness. In fact, it's necessary to have our differences. It's necessary, our differences are intentional, our differences are God-designed, and our differences are eternally determined. Just like the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, there are three distinct persons, but they are unified around the same purpose. And we can have unity in diversity. We need to have unity in diversity. When we are unified around the same purpose of glorifying God on this earth and completing the work of the church. You know, when we think about a sports team, just for an illustration, when we think about a sports team, there are many different positions, aren't they? There are many different roles, many different positions, people from different backgrounds, but they all come together to play their part to achieve the same goal of winning. Amen? Now, when we think about an orchestra, are you out there? Yeah? Great. <laughs> When we think about an orchestra, let's think about that. We have all these different instruments that play together, all these different sounds, all these different expressions, but they come together to create one beautiful symphony. We all have our differences. We all have our part to play. If we remember the Apostle Paul compares the church to a human body, do we remember that? What he says in the Bible in 1 Corinthians, he says, just as a body, though, is one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. And it says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. 
Each one of you is a part. Did you hear that, church? Did you hear that out there? Come on, each one of you in this church has a part to play. Each one of you. And your part may not be my part, and my part won't be yours because they're all different, but each one is just as necessary, just as important, just as vital, and we need everyone who to come to the table to be who God's created them to be and do what God's created them to do. Because last time I checked, there's still a lot of work to be done in the kingdom of God, amen? There's still a lot of people that need to come to know Jesus Christ so we need everyone to come and be who God's created them to be and do what God's created them to do we all need to play our different parts to bring glory to God on this earth and you know maybe sometimes the devil can be sneaky he can get in with voices in our heads can't he but maybe we just need to stop listening to the voice that tells us your part doesn't matter you don't matter you're not important we just need to stop listening to that we need to celebrate all our beautiful differences and unify around the common purpose of bringing glory to our God and then Then we can begin to watch as the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal himself and move among us and affirm the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about it, you can think if we've all got different goals, if we're all heading in different directions, there's not going to be unity. We're going to be pulling apart from one another. We're not going to be coming together. (sighs) Unity is purpose-driven. Unity is not sameness. Let's remember that. So Jesus gives us another clue in this prayer to help, us, to help us just really try and understand this unity. So if we are unified for a purpose, what is going to help us maintain that unity? What's going to help us remain in this unity and enhance this unity? If we know what our purpose is, what's going to help us get there? Again, when we think about sports teams, they have game plans, right? They'll have a game plan. They'll have a strategic plan of what's going to help them win. If we think about an orchestra, they have a composer with this little stick. What's that stick called? I don't know. But they follow it, right? (laughs) And they all stay in unity. So what's going to help us get there? What's our road map? Well, Jesus says in verse 17, 17 to 19, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I've sanctified myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. One truth. So this unity becomes possible. This unity is maintained and enhanced as we are all growing up into, as we're all being made holy into the same one truth. Are you with me? Right? Same one truth. Jesus says our minds and our hearts are to be made holy by the same one authoritative truth, the word of God. So that means our minds are coming into one accord. They're aligning up with one another as they, be, as they are being renewed and begin to operate from the same truth. Our, our lives and our characters are being built up on the same truth the word of God. Our hearts are coming into alignment with one another as the same fruit begins to grow in there, which grows from the same implanted word, God's word, the truth of God's word. And this maintains, this enhances the unity within the church. Because have we noticed nowadays, I think it's been termed post-modernism or something, I don't know, but everybody has their truth, don't they? 
Everybody has their own truth. People at large seem to decide their truth, what's good and bad and right and wrong. And this is formed through their own filters of life experiences and culture, teaching, a variety of things. But everybody has a truth. Everybody has a truth. And when nothing is absolute, truth becomes subjected and self-determined. So I can have my truth over here and I'm operating from my truth. You can have your truth over there and operate from that one. You can have your truth over, th over there and operate from that one. And our minds and our hearts are not in one accord. We can't move forward together because we're all operating from different truths. But Jesus said, we will be sanctified by the same truth, the word of God, the same game plan, the same strategic plan, the same composer with his little stick. And his name is Jesus, the word of God. God, the same one truth for all of us. It's the same. And this enhances this unity. It maintains the unity so we can achieve our purpose. And the book of Acts says it was when the hearts and the minds of God's people were in one accord, playing this beautiful symphony to God, that the Holy Spirit came and fell with fire and power. Church, are we ready to yield our hearts and our minds to the same one truth? Are we ready to create that beautiful symphony to God for the Holy Spirit to come and dance upon? Are we ready? Are we out there? Are we ready? Yeah. Amen. We're being sanctified by the same truth united in love to achieve the same goal, being directed and transformed by the same truth. Now, all that being said, <laughs> all that being said, we're a work in progress, aren't we? All of us. We are in this process of being sanctified, in this process of being renewed. So I doubt from here on in, we might always agree with each other on everything. That would be ideal, but we're all a work in progress. Let's be real, okay? But that being said, we can be on this journey and still have disagreements, but do that in love and keep the unity. We can do that. It's about saying, okay, I might not agree with you on that detail or that approach or that tiny peripheral thing, but I'm still united with you in the main purpose. I'm still united with you for the goal of glorifying God. I still love you. You're still a child of God. I still see your value. We can get through this. We can work together. What, what it isn't doing, what maintaining the unity isn't doing, is having a difference of opinion and then beginning to sow seeds of disunity in the wider church. Allowing anger and offence to fill our hearts and not the Holy Spirit and causing fractions. Now, I'm not saying we're doing this and I'm not saying this is happening, but we need to reveal the truth so we can be aware of what we shouldn't be walking into. Amen. It should be like little alarm bells when we, okay, that's not the Holy Spirit. No, I shouldn't be doing that. That's not God's work, and I certainly won't find the, the power of God at work there. The Holy Spirit will not find revival there. The Holy Spirit will not move in that place. Sowing seeds of disunity, as we've already established, was the devil's work from the beginning, back in the garden. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder and every evil practice. Every evil practice. God is not in that place. God is not working there. The Holy Spirit will not move in that place. And we see an example of this in the, in the Bible when Jesus was on this earth with us. And we see it in John 11. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And the Jewish leaders, 
they begin to they begin to cause strife. They begin to argue with one another. They let self-interest get in their hearts. They let pride, you know, and, and really the strife begins. And, and they begin to they begin to plot Jesus's death. They begin to plot how they can stop, squish the work of Jesus in their life. Stop it. And Jesus eleven fifty four says, therefore, Jesus no longer moved publicly among them among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a village near the wilderness, to a village named Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So the manifest presence of God was on the earth. And where there was strife and divisions, Jesus withdrew from that. He was no longer publicly among them. He withdrew from that place. So he was still present. He was still on the earth. The Bible says he will never leave you. He's still present but he wasn't publicly among them. He withdrew. He was present, but he wasn't public. Present, but not public. And if we want to see revival in our time, if we want to see the Holy Spirit come tangibly, then we need him publicly among us, don't we? We don't want him to withdraw. We need him to be able to move publicly among us. We don't want him to have to withdraw because of our quarreling, because of our intolerance, because of ourselves. We need him to be public. Not just present, we need him present. We need him present, but we need him public as well. So let's ensure, church, that we work together to keep the door open for the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't want him to withdraw. We want him to be publicly among us. You know, Jesus came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. So let's not allow them walls to be built back up again in our life. Let's refuse to allow the walls of disunity to be built up in the church. If we want to see revival, we need to play our part so the Holy Spirit can come and move publicly among them, among us. We need him present and public. Kyle, wherever you are, I might just get you back up. Thanks. We want to see revival. Unity is so key to revival. Thanks, Kyle. Isn't he great? Can we just give him a round of applause? He's fantastic. We need unity, guys. You know, there's a psalm, Psalm 133. And this psalm gives us a beautiful picture of unity in the community of believers and how God delights in this unity. And here we really see the value and the virtue of unity. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. It's good and pleasant in his eyes. He says, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, down, the, down Aaron's beard, down the collar, down his robes. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, in this unity, in this place, for there, the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. And you know, Psalm 130 is part of a collection of Psalms that's known as the Songs of Ascent. And these songs would be sung by the Jewish people as they came together and made their journey to Jerusalem on their annual worship festivals. 
the whole nation of Israel coming together, the whole 12, 12 tribes of Israel coming together with all their differences, all their beautiful particulars, all coming together to worship God and be unified in that. And God says how good and pleasant it is. How good and pleasant it is. It is like oil flowing down from the head, flowing through the body. You know, oil is symbolic of many things, but one of the things we know it's symbolic for is the Holy Spirit. People will be anointed with oil in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit would come upon them. When we are unified, when we are united, the oil can flow. The oil of the Holy Spirit can flow, flowing down from the head, which is Christ, through his body which brings blessings of God and life forevermore so there's a question I want us to ask ourselves guys here at everyday church can the oil flow can the oil flow through us can the oil flow from the head through the body here can we work for unity can we maintain unity can we uphold it as a value and a virtue within the church. And I believe we can. I believe we can. I believe the Holy Spirit is waiting and willing to come and show himself stronger among us. You know, the Holy Spirit hasn't lost his power. He hasn't lost his willingness. But sometimes we just need to fan the flames of revival, don't we, church? We just need to begin to fan them flames and realign ourselves again with God's word and God's will. You know, you are part of a movement that was birthed in revival. Pentecost, the second Pentecost as it was coined. You are part of a movement that was birthed in revival, the reawakening of the church, once again to the move of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Spirit the gifts um, that he gave the church, the signs and wonders. It's where our movement was birthed, God moving publicly among his people. You know that flame of revival hasn't gone out. That flame of revival has not gone out. You still carry that flame of revival. We still carry that flame of revival. And are we ready to begin to fan the flames of revival, church? Come on, this is revival. Are we ready? We have to do our part. Are we ready to do the will of God? Are we ready to boldly and sincerely pray the prayer like Billy Graham and say, Lord, will you do it again? Lord, will you come? And will you do it again? But will you do it through us? Will you do it through us? Because we're ready. We're unified. We're ready. We're fanning them flames and we're waiting to do the will and the purpose of God. We sold out for your truth and your purpose. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, why don't we just stand and we'll just begin to worship God in this presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and move among us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want to take this time to pray for anybody who hasn't yet gave their life to Jesus Christ, who doesn't yet, hasn't yet looked to him as Lord and Saviour. If that's you this morning, if your heart's racing, if you're being prompt, then that's the Holy Spirit. And pray this prayer after me. Church, if we can just join together. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And I can live in relationship with you. And I look to you, Lord Jesus, as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord. And if you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, please get in contact with us. Please come and see me. We'd love to get some resources to you just to help you on that journey. And we can just begin to worship. Worship God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your presence in this place. Let's lift our eyes to the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in our hearts. Thank you that you're doing a work within us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and moving among us. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this morning. We empty ourselves. We surrender ourselves. Work in our heart. What do I need to repent of? What do I need to be convicted of? Show us, Holy Spirit. Show us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you washed away disunity with your blood, with your body. You washed it away. Thank you that we can be one unified people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We love you. We exalt your name this morning. And in Jesus' name, everybody prayed. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, 
There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. while we're finishing this time of worship if anyone does want prayer then please come to the front while the music is playing come and receive prayer thank you lord and i will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken i will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you you open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me thank you lord thank you jesus you are so worthy amen amen can we put our hands together for kyle what a fantastic Fantastic worship leader, such an anointing, so excited for your future. Okay, church, that is the end, I'm afraid. We could stay here all day, couldn't we? <laughs> but that's the end. We are continuing our revival series next week when Pastor Jacob will be back in the house, continuing the word. So grab a coffee, grab something to eat, and we'll see you next week, church, without masks. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. Show for me, show